we come to another portion of God's Word, Ephesians 5, 1 through 18. So I'll read it for you. You can follow along, please. Ephesians 5, 1 through 18 reads as follows. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them, for you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather approve them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things are reproved, all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See that ye to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. May God bless the reading of his word, shall we pray. O Father, help us in our understanding your word, and especially this passage under consideration, that we may be enlightened, that we may be edified, that we may be informed, that we may be empowered to do the things that we have read and to live godly in Christ Jesus, according to the will of God our Father. In the name of our Savior, amen. Walk in love, light, and looking out, or looking around. Now, the word walk means, well, the word follow, actually, in verse 1, is the word mimic or imitate. In other words, to walk as Christ walked. And always remember that this is not to all, but to those who are the children of God. For it says in the previous verse, Ephesians 4.32, that we are those who have been saved for Christ's sake, having been forgiven of our sins. But this passage speaks to the whole triune God. First, God the Father in verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Children of whom? But 
none other than the Father, God the Father. God the Son is referred to at least three different times in verses 2, 5, and 14. At least his name, Christ, comes up in each of these verses. As it says in verse 2, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. God the Holy Spirit is referred to at least twice. In verse 9, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And we are also told in verse 18 to be filled with the Spirit. There are three ways that we follow, imitate, or walk with God. First, walk in God's love. Second, walk in God's light. And third, walk looking around. Walk in God's love. That's the first portion that we are looking at, as I've already read in verse 2. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. That means we're walking in love toward God and fulfilling the royal commandment of the King of Kings, which is to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength and mind. But not only ourselves, but our neighbors too, beginning with our brethren. And love your neighbor as yourself. You're not walking in God's love when you do the following, beginning in verse 3. Fornication, all uncleanness, or covetousness, which is being greedy, being uh, desirous of mammon, or loving that above loving God. And the warning is here that it should not be named among any one of us as becoming saints, those who are sanctified, those who are children of light, as we will hear more of shortly. And then in verse 4, instead of those other things that we engage in, things that um, are part of the dust and, and the soot that we accumulate as we walk through this life, that we are to dust off upon our entering our homes or entering the house of God, such as filthiness, like on the internet, or in conversations, foolish talking and jestings that are not profitable, that's what that means, convenient. Rather, giving of thanks, that should be what, what is pronounced in our speaking, in our speech. And in verse 5, being warned that those who are engaged in these certain lifestyles, whoremongers, that's those who are involved in sexual sins, unclean persons, very, very similar, more, more generic, or covetous man who is an idolater who are idolizing something other than God be it the flesh or be it monetary gain hath no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God it's a warning because there are those who perhaps are not yet saved who think they are and I will speak to that also shortly Beware of the words of the world. 
It starts with vain words, according to verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words, empty words. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's the one that we studied last Thursday. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Vain words, you would think, words? How about actions? Well, that too. But that's where you start, you see. And we can be tempted by vain words of others. And that's where it starts. Our slide or our declension or our backsliding or worse yet, perhaps even our apostatizing. In Romans 1.32, it states, I'll, I'll, I'll read it from my notes, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Those who are about sins of a certain kind, who have a certain flair for a certain sin, are of course encouraged when others are doing the same. And when there's one who isn't, such as if one of your former friends from your former life that you have a concern for and are reaching out to again, only this time in Christ, only this time with the word of reconciliation. And he rejects that. But at the same time, he, he wants your company. Well, that's not a win-win situation. What's our hope of deliverance from such temptations? Because we're not to be a partaker with them, it says in verse 7. And so that's out. Yes, beware of their words, but also of their works. And beware, again, that that might be like the, the, the dirt and soot that accumulates on our shoes as we are walking down that path. So, is it ourselves? Is it in our strength? Is, is it with the power of our will? I hope you've discovered the futility of your own efforts. No, it's Christ. It says, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. That's our hope. That's our hope alone. Before we can walk in love, we have to be in love, as it were, renewed by the love of Christ each and every day. And so we have to be walking closely with him every day. His sacrifice was and still is to God the Father a sweet-smelling sacrifice or aroma or savor. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he always did the will of his father. He confessed in prayer to his God and to his disciples. And yet, it would cost him his life in order to save us from our sins. Imagine that. Behold what manner of love the Father hath given unto us, that we should be called the children of God. And what that entailed in the giving of his son. Is it a sweet savor to you? Is Christ a sweet savor to you, is my question. And are you that in turn to him and to others who would know him through you? In 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, is a wonderful 
scripture here to point us to that, which I just said. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and make manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Notice, in every place. It's like the aroma of a delicious meal, such as what we have there. Only that's in containers right now, see? But once the lid is taken off or the cover, it fills the room. Is that our testimony? For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. That's what we are. That's what we are to be. In them that are saved, and in them that perish, in them that are saved, and in them that perish, to the one, sadly, the savor of death unto death, but to the other, gladly, the savor of life unto life. And who's sufficient for these things? So that's what we have to be. We have to walk in love, even in the love of Christ. Second, walk in God's light. Verse 8, For you were sometimes, or at one time, darkness. Imagine God calls us darkness. We weren't just in darkness. We were darkness. Our very nature was darkened by sin. Paul says somewhere, alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in us because of the darkness of our hearts, the blackness of our very souls. That's what the unconverted are in the sight of God. The Lord Jesus is the one who enlightens us by his Holy Spirit. This is all by means of that one who indwells our hearts and our lives. The apostle is all too aware of our struggle with sin. He calls it, in verse 14, sleep. He says that we are sleeping on the job, if, if you will. Wake up, thou that sleepest. Each time that we sin, it is like returning to the grave from which we were resurrected. Because he says, arise from the dead. Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. Isn't that an axiomoron statement that has this imagery of our like teetering between life and death when we engage in sin as professing believers. He commands us to arise from the dead. Verse 14, Wherefore saith he, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. It's like we're being born again all over. The birth of the new birth is like the creation of the universe. We were at one time darkness and then God sent his light and we became light in the Lord. Talk about light. Set your sights on this, verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. That's where our attention must be focused on. That's where the lion's share of our time should be. Because that's the life in the Spirit. As the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5, and I'm just going to quote this to you, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, meaning no law condemning you. The law of God is not going to condemn you if you are manifesting this fruit, and not because you're doing it perfectly, but because you're in Christ, and by the Spirit of Christ you are manifesting this life through life-given fruit. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. That is, it is dying. It's not yet dead. You know, when Christ was crucified, he didn't die right away when they nailed him to the cross. It was a slow death. Even for him, it was a slow death. And so it is for the Christian. It is a slow death. And he says, You are Christ, having been crucified, that is, your flesh being crucified, with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 through 25. Verse 10 of our passage, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. That's what our life should be about. We're, can I say, trying to prove to God the, the verity of his work, the, the authenticity of our faith, the sincerity of our love. Not that we're needing to do that, but yet at the same time, wanting to do that. It's really difficult to explain, except maybe to illustrate it as that of a child who is wanting to please his parents, knowing that his parents love him anyway, no matter how he turns out, no matter if he turns out to be something uh, of a disappointment later in life. He's still loved. And yet, a child who loves his parents will, can I say, bend over backwards. Maybe not right away, but over time because of his love for them. And so is our love for God. And don't go back into the world like it says in verse 11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't even go there. Don't even go down that alley. You know how alleys are? They're usually dark, right? Don't go down that alley. Go down the bright lit street, okay? That's where you should go. And not only that, reprove them that do, as you have occasion, as we talked about even last Thursday, about when people take God's name in vain. You may not want to do it in public, even though they they did, and everybody else heard, along with you, their cursing and their profanity. Talk to them privately. Apply Matthew 18 and talk to them privately to, to preserve his integrity and to win an audience with him and perhaps even his soul. Our Lord gives us, through Paul, two good reasons why we should do this, why we should walk in the light. One, sin is a shame. Verse 12, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. You know when you say things that are really not in, in place, like, Ugh, why did I say that? You know, washing your mouth out with soap. <laughs> I remember that, that. I never had actually did that, although I did taste soap one time. I said, oh, I don't think I want to do this. It's better just not to say it. God is also going to expose sin for what it is. What is it? Utter darkness even from the place that originated. In verse 13, But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. And so that is going to happen. It will happen in this life, hopefully, and, and when it does, 
We can be thankful, but if not, in the case of many, it will happen on the day of judgment. If you are in sin now, come back to the light. In other words, in other words repent. God is a forgiving God. Like the woman caught in adultery in John 8, 10 through 12. Turn to it. John 8, verses 10 through 12. I won't read the whole thing, but this will suffice. <clears throat> when Jesus had lifted up himself, he was down on the ground uh, doodling. And I like to think that probably why he was that, why the scriptures recorded doing that, that was very unusual behavior, is perhaps the woman that was caught in adultery was, was not properly clad and didn't have time to do so because she was literally dragged from the bed um, to be made, to be displayed to Christ to see how Christ would react, what Christ would do, how he would respond. And so when Jesus had lifted up himself when they were all gone, because he had <laughs> said something that caused them to walk away with their tails between their legs, he said to them, okay, any of you that has not sinned, cast the first stone. Boom. <laughs> if Christ were to say that in the church today, there would be no casting of stones by anyone, be they pastors or elders or leaders in the church. Because we're not supposed to be about that anyway. And even our judgments are tentative and are couched in mercy. And the end all of all discipline is finally restoration. I had an occasion to counsel along with another pastor, uh, one of the churches in the Philippines, actually two churches. And, and this is the very same thing that I said to them. So it's fresh in my mind right now. Very fresh in my mind right now. And so, like this woman caught in adultery, and the Lord has, you will come to the Lord and he has forgiven you and, 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 uh, and has said, uh, were thine accusers? None, Lord. Well, in that case, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Why? Because I shed my precious blood to die for your sins and to wash them away. As far away as east is from the west. As far away as being thrown behind the back of God into the depths of the sea of his forgetfulness. Remember no more. And so, woman, go and sin no more. See how that works? It's simple, isn't it? It's simple. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and having denied yourself, take up your cross and follow him. As our Lord said on that occasion, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Lastly, walk looking out, or looking around, as the case may be, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. In other words, as you walk, walk with both eyes open. Don't, don't walk with blinders on. Don't walk squinting or one eye closed. Have both eyes open. 
to your surroundings, and especially what's ahead. It's easy to get off the main trail, especially when there are no signs. You know how that is? Like when you walk in the woods, or when you travel in the Philippines, there are no signs. <laughs> Few, and they're all just like you know, random. So GPS, ways, you know, yeah, that's, that's, that's a lifesaver. Now, there are three principles to doing this, because this is not easy. Walking circumspectly is not easy. Walking carefully in the world is not an easy task. But there are three principles to help us here. One, verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. That means ransoming back the time that was lost. Lost because of the past, your past life. Lost because of perhaps sins that you have picked up along the way. And, and how our sins are such time wasters, are they not? We regret even having gone there. But nevertheless, God is willing to let you have a new day every day that you get up out of bed and start over. Redeeming the time. And then secondly, oh, and let me add one more thing. Because the days are evil. And that is so true. That is so true. Boy, are the days evil. We're not getting help from out there. We need to go to the Lord. Which brings us to the next advice, and that is verse 17. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding the will of the Lord. Do you understand God's will for your life? To understand God's will for your life, first step is understand God's will from his word, from his revealed scriptures from his self-revelation that's his first or that's your first step because that is God's love letter to you in your relationship to him and that's what he is saying imparting from his heart and from his thoughts what he wants for your life and so how much time is spent there or here how much time? And then third and lastly, be not drunk with wine or debauchery, uh, which is excess or debauchery, but be filled with his spirit. Now, it's actually a, a tense that would be better rendered. Filled and being filled. You're filled because you have the Holy Spirit already. When you are born again, you have been made new. And God's presence is in your life by the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. So you have the Holy Spirit. You are filled already. But it's a feeling that continues. It's a feeling that continues as you walk with the Lord in the light of his word. What a glory he sheds on your way. As you do his good will, he abides with you still. And with all who will trust and obey. That's a hymn. I wish we could sing it out, but we'll have to content ourselves with just hearing it. Is that what's going on in life? Is that what is happening in you? You're as filled and being filled as you are willing to live for King Jesus and to walk with the King and to be a blessing to others around you. So how much time do you spend at the throne of grace with the means of grace? The word and prayer are... Uh, 
undefeatable, indefatigable duo, like a one-two punch of Cassius Clay. I was reading about Cassius Clay recently. Unbeatable. Unbeatable. The amount of time you spend in God's word at the throne of grace will determine whether you enjoy a spiritually healthy walk with God or not. Are you walking circumspectly? Where did Christ give an illustration of this when Paul says, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Fools, but as wise. Did he not, did our Lord speak about uh, the foolish man and the wise man? Where do we find that? In Matthew 7, 24 through 27. So turn to Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And let me read it. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. Why? For it was founded upon a rock. Talk about the wind, the wind blowing uh, yesterday. A freak wind blew on my house and the umbrella uh, for the patio setting just took off and ended up on my neighbor's roof. And then my sister-in-law says, Kuyakil, Kuyakil, the wind took your umbrella away. And I said, what? And then I looked and sure enough, there it was. (laughs) Now, if your house is founded upon rock, do you think that's going to happen? Let me read on. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So that event, by the way, didn't cause any harm or damage. I just want to report, okay? (laughs) But not so in the case of those who build their house upon the sand. Be warned. Be warned. And just because you may be a professing Christian, profess the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, even be a reformed believer, as we call ourselves, who have taken on that distinctive or good reasons that I won't get into right now. You are not automatically nor necessarily a Christian in word or in deed. And just say that on the basis of this parable. Because he says in verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Imagine that. There will be those who say that they are Christians, but who will not be in heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And so you've got to do more than talk the walk, as the saying goes. You've got to walk the walk also. And that 
is established, the evidence is set forth in one verse, verse 24. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and what doeth them. Verses verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the, the line is drawn. That's where you are or you're not. So hearing is important, but so is submission to the will of God and obedience to the word of God. And so where are you and I? God is always measuring us, proving us like what we're told to do, prove what is acceptable to the Lord. Yes, we need to, to do that. That's what a message like this is about, is our proving to ourselves before God so that we might have assurance of our faith thereof and by our godly walk win others also to him. And with that, let me now ask that we pray. Oh Lord, help us to walk in love and love to you, our God, and love to our Savior, and love to the Holy Spirit, and also walk in light, the light of your word, the light, Lord, of your grace and of the work of your Holy Spirit, and the light, and also looking circumspectly, keeping our eyes open, knowing that we are not home yet, knowing that we are not in friendly territory, knowing that, Lord, we are in the world, and that we need your protection, we need your provision. We need your help. And Lord, we need it all the time. Help us to descend that we may walk as children of light in your sight and as children of love, love beloved of you and who love you. 